Do you love role-playing games? Well, you're not alone. At Dogmite Games, you can feel the Dogmite difference, and they offer years of powerful experience creating woodworking items that will enhance your home games. High-quality custom tabletop gaming hardware, from fully sculpted GM screens to dice towers and everything in between, they customize everything, the sculpture, the engravings, the finishes, they do it all. And they back it all up with an outstanding customer service, a lifetime guarantee on all of their creations, and real-time tracking of custom orders through their website. That is the Dogmite difference. Dogmite Games is the best gaming company that you've never heard of. You could change that today by heading over to dogmite.com and see how you can upgrade your gaming experience today. From across the various realms of the internet comes the power of role-playing. This is Game Night Heroes. Toss dice and tell stories. The best of role-playing is here. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello and welcome back once again to the Game Night Heroes. I'm Kevin, and I'll be your host and your Game Master today. We are continuing with our playthrough of Deadlands from Pinnacle Entertainment Group. This is played using the Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, or Suede, and this is part two, so if you haven't joined our three heroes in our posse so far, be sure to head on back and listen to part one before you dive in today. I'm joined by the same wonderful, amazing cast, and we are about to tell a collaborative story, the outcome of which will be determined by our dice rolling. If you'd like to have some more information about Pinnacle Entertainment Group, be sure to head on over to their website, peginc.com, or take a look in the show notes. And also be sure to follow our fine performers as we entertain you today. Thank you one and all for joining us, and we appreciate you being here with us and riding on out into the weird west. Let's get started, y'all. Hi, I'm Carrie Smith, and I am playing Victoria Glass. Pleasure to meet you. Hi, everybody. My name is Alex Rodriguez, and I'm playing Hugo Mendes, the local discount surgeon of our little town here. Hi, everybody. My name is Brian, a.k.a. Helix, and I'm playing Roy McCarran, who is retired. Previously on Game Night Heroes... The town of Hope, Kansas, is having a bit of a problem. For the past four months, all of its children under the age of 12 have mysteriously gone missing without a sign or a trace. And now a young woman, Victoria Glass, has arrived in Hope to hopefully discover what has befallen the children. She is met by Hugo Mendez and Roy McAaron. The three faced enemies in the form of hired bandits. But it was a distraction to kidnap the last remaining child in the town, 
Clementine Thurston, daughter of the mayor. The three heroes have dispatched the bandits and left one of their ilk alive. He told them a chilling tale that there are others involved in the scheme. This tall tale now resumes. And so it is very early in the morning when the mayor, for lack of a better term, actually returns to the town. Where would we find the three of you in the wee early hours of the morning? Where in town is the best breakfast? That probably would be at the hotel, I would assume. Yeah, Ugo's Ugo's munching down on bacon, having a coffee. Absolutely. Ignoring the man who's hurting in his office completely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He doesn't have anything else to tell us, so he's not important anymore. He gave up his his useful NPC pass. Yeah, every time I walk back in, I forget he's there. Uh, Yeah, I would probably come out from my room and see them there, and I'm like, Hugo, where's our hostage? Uh, I mean, patient. You don't want... You don't want some cafe, a little bit of tocino, bacon, or something? I mean, he's not going anywhere. I, you know, he. I was checking him out, and I think he has scurvy, which is weird. He's not like a pirate or anything, but you know, I'll, I'll treat him later. He's he's gonna be fine. <sighs> I mean, also he's you know has a gunshot wound that is probably festering right now, but that's fine. It's fine. You'll be fine. You know, do you want some orange juice? They have some good orange juice here. I doubt our uh, fellow in the office is going to be going anywhere anytime soon, Miss Glass. I think we have time for breakfast. I would love coffee, and I sit down. And after a short bit of time, after you order from Amara, you actually do receive some freshly cooked eggs, scrambled ovaries, your fried, whatever might be your choice. And you get coffee, bacon. And it is when the first light of the sun comes up across the horizon that Newell Thurston and the two men arrive back in town. You can see that they look tired, worn from riding through the night. You can tell that he especially looks put out, dejected. You can tell this is a man who has a loss. They don't come back with Clementine, which is even more of a sinister outcome. And you hope that nothing might have befallen the young girl. It seems our mayor didn't manage to find these mysterious culprits. What a surprise. He's the mayor? That's where I've seen him before. Oh, jeez. <laughs> really playing up the clueless. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention, you guys would have all received a Benny at the end of the last session. And I'm going to go ahead and give Hugo another Benny for the uh, rip-roaring good slapstick that you're performing for us. And I'm going to go ahead and give Roy another one for his use of trying to perhaps talk with these men before shooting them first. And Victoria, I'm going to go ahead and give you a Benny as well, because what a shot. (laughs) That's fair. So... And as the three of you are sitting there around the table with breakfast, Mayor Thurston crosses the thoroughfare and over to the hotel. He walks in tiredly to see the three of you. (sighs) What did the man say? Have you talked to him? Yeah, we we talked to him. He didn't know anything. He went to uh, 
and I'm shifting through my notes, broken rails, and that's the last he can remember. Let's go ahead and have Roy and Hugo make common knowledge tests at a plus four for what broken rails might be. All right. That is a seven for Hugo. Oh, okay. I have a D4 that managed to ace a couple of times. That's a 13 for Roy. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Hugo, you've heard the term broken rails. You know that it is a location that had a very pitched battle at the end of the Civil War some years ago. It is to the east of here. And it's a place that you don't really like to think too fondly about because it's one of the great disasters towards the end of the war itself. But Roy, your thoughts take on a little bit more of a personal turn when you think about broken rails. You know that it is a area where there was definitely a dark and pitched battle And also, it was the site where some of the Reckoners emerged, where a man, a native, some would call him, named Raven, concocted a dark ritual that unleashed hell upon the Earth. The Weird West might have been born in areas such as Broken Rails. And you know that the area has a dark connotation to you as well. Your limp... Reminds you that it's there for a second. And the touch of the darkness on your soul reminds you that you are still alive when others in your path aren't. You instinctively find yourself looking slowly over your shoulder to see if it's still following you. Luckily, you don't see it. But it lingers still. Your thoughts are pulled back into the moment from Mayor Thurston as he looks about and he says, So, uh, what exactly did he have to say then? They went to Broken Rails and then they came here? Uh, um, um, yes, that's, that's what they, uh, that's, that's all that he really had to say. I, I don't know whether he, he hit his head in falling off of his horse or if there's something else at play here, Mayor Thurston, but, uh. It doesn't seem like the man knows any more than that. Well, Mr. McCarran, I gotta admit, you're, uh... You're a man I trust in this, to be honest. You come with a little bit of a background that precedes you. I know that the time that you served was a time that you learned a thing or two about how the West is. You're a veteran in these parts, whereas me and my people are newcomers here. So, uh, I'll trust you in this. Being a father, though, I can't just sit by and let what happened to my little girl, what happened to all the children in this town, go unanswered for. It's, uh, it's a darkness here. It's come clawing at my house, clawing at all the houses here. I'm not going to stand by anymore. I want to find out what exactly those men took my daughter for. We're going to find her before they do anything untoward, if you understand what I mean. You, uh, your reputation precedes you, Mr. McCarran, and, uh, I'm hoping I can trust that the stories I've heard about you were true. Can I maybe ask a favor of an old man who might know a little bit more about the West than me? 
You can see, Roy, that he is on the verge of a total break. His body is holding a tension that just marks him as someone who is grieving, as well as holding back rage and anger. Rage and anger from his missing child, as well as from the fact that he was not able to bring her back himself. While he speaks to Mr. McCarran, to Roy, Hugo, both you and Victoria are in the room, and it seems that the mayor, for the time being, has forgotten the two of you were sitting there. His eyes and his gaze are solely fixed upon Roy. And he looks at him with a longing that can only be described as desperation. I will quietly ask, almost afraid to speak up, I will quietly say, Mr. Thurston, how is this town with... And then I stop and think of how to rephrase, and I say, what do you know about the green mist? He gives you a strange look for a second, like maybe he doesn't know what you're talking about. And then his eyes dart back and forth between you and Roy, and then to Hugo, and then back to you, and he says, Green Mist. I haven't mentioned that to anyone, but uh, it was said those who came and took the children had a green mist about them. Where did you see this mist? Well, when we took care of the Red Hands... After one was killed, a, a green mist um, sort of rose from him and shot off into the distance. He nods slowly. I'm wondering if they all had some sort of green mist about them, and that is why our friend in Mr. Hugo's office is um, unable to remember his actions. Well, I don't know much about the dark arts that those savages use. At this point, too, like, every time Mr. Thurston has said the word savages, Victoria, like, visibly winces. And at this point, it's just been one too many times. And she says, Mr. Thurston, I assume you're talking about the natives, but I would appreciate it if you didn't call them savages. And he looks at you and he gives you a look almost as if you've slapped him in the face. Yes, I, uh, I, I understand. I'm sorry, I... The dark habits of my father before me have been visited upon me this night out of my grief and my sadness. I am I am sorry, Miss Glass, for being untoward. We can only strive to be better than our parents, isn't that right, Mr. Thurston? His thoughts maybe go back to his daughter, who is missing, and he just nods. You are right about one thing, Newell, and that's that there certainly is no small amount of savagery in these parts of the world, although it is uh, not certainly relegated to any one race or group or creed of individuals to practice it. He's nodding. It, it doesn't fail to catch my attention that you've been incensed to action over these disappearances only now that it has come, as you said, uh, clawing at your own house, but We'll leave that alone for the time being. What's more important is that if you're putting your trust in me, which frankly uh, I would advise is an ill decision, but seeing as ill decisions may be all that we have at hand, you're aware of what that means and what's possible and probable to happen during the outcome of these events. I understand. 
if these men have something to do with broken rails, then savagery uh, in and of itself is the least of our concerns. I think we're going to need to be a little more worried about, well, you brought up the dark arts that these certain men and women are known to practice that may be closer at hand than you think when you bring it up. Much as I loathe to say it, it sounds as though we may need to pay a visit to Broken Rails to see exactly what is going on. If we're going to find out the secret behind what's been taking place here in Hope. So you'll, uh, <clears throat> you'll go then. He says, suddenly getting a little bit of strength back from the fact that he's felt rather small in this moment. Well, I can tell you I will go, Mr. Thurston. Well, uh, I, I thank you, Miss Glass, for your, your candor, but I think this might be something that might be best left to others. Uh, you're an outsider here. I don't want you to feel like I'm putting my burdens upon you. I, And you can tell that he's having a hard time with all of this. He's not exactly used to asking for help, you can tell. Mm-hmm. But uh, he doesn't push it any further than that. On the contrary, Mayor Thurston, uh, it seems from what I've heard from her that the whole reason Miss Glass is in town is to help us uh, investigate and maybe even deal with this problem, and uh, based on what I've read of her work, uh, she seems like she knows how to handle herself in various situations. And based on how she shot that dude, I mean, she might come in handy. And two, in fact. Uh, so. She did, yeah. I spend most of my time being underestimated, Mr. Thurston. <laughs> yeah. He looks to the three of you, and he seems to understand that the three of you are resolute in this, and so he just nods again. I'll fit you with whatever you need for the journey, and I can give you information as we left it when we had to give up our search. And he explains to you that about four miles to the east of the town, the trail went cold and went dead. He and the men weren't able to track it down any further, but it did seem to be heading in the direction of broken rails. He gives you, Roy, a loose description of the landscape of the area, different landmarks that might be important for you to navigate out to where they stopped. And he also said that the main trail that they went down was a trail that's a main common road that would go from here. Victoria, you would guess this would probably would be the road that you came down earlier on the covered wagon. So you have a general idea of where he's talking about as well. Okay. And Hugo, what are you thinking about during all this? Oh, during all this, Hugo is munching down very loudly on his breakfast. <laughs> as you all have been having this discussion, he's been stealing food off of everyone else's plates. And I actually want to try and roll a thievery roll. Oh, yeah. For how subtle he's <laughs> able to get away with this. Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, go and roll it. And we'll just set a target number for that. Yeah. It's a four. Four? Okay, yeah. And as the conclusion of the discussion about agreeing to go find the mayor's daughter is wrapping up, those of you who have yet to finish your breakfast look back to your plate and realize that, hey, wait a minute, there's uh, <laughs> there was more here a second ago. Maybe you were eating and not realizing it when you were having your discussion. You're not sure. <laughs> yeah, Victoria 100% thinks that she ate all of her food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hugo's sitting at the end of the table. He's like undone his belt a little bit. <laughs> 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 just, oh, 
the, the bacon is particularly good today, Amara. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias. Well, if you're going to be uh, offering to outfit us for this expedition, then uh, I wouldn't say no to a horse for each of us, too, if you can spare it. We might need to change horses midway if we're riding hard. Uh, saddlebags with enough food and water for the journey. Um, so that'll be, what, four uh, or six. Mendez, are you going to be coming along with us? Oh, hell yeah. I know yes. you have your practice here, but you know, oh, not a terrible right. shot with your pistol yourself. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, frankly, I think our friend in your office can stand to wait around a little while longer. Yeah, and if not, I, I got it. I got this coffin picked out anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, you know what? If you can throw in some some pipe tobacco into the deal, I'm I'm in, Senor. Yes, of course, whatever you all need. Yes, definitely. And so, after a little bit of time, you guys all rest up. You know, get freshened up. Whatever it is you have to do to make yourselves feel like human beings, and get ready for the day. And you do find that the mayor is good on his word. He brings you all uh, fresh ammunition for your weapons, as well as some trail rations for a couple of days, and also five horses. Uh, he wasn't able to scrounge up all six that you might have requested, but five was a good starting point, I would think. And other different accoutrements that you might need for a journey such as this. Perfecto. Yeah. When we are uh, reconvening to saddle up the horses and, and get ready for the journey, Roy sort of nods over. He looks a little disappointed that we couldn't get the sixth, but we'll make do. And uh, he more or less looks the same as he did on our first meeting together. The two big changes to his appearance are one that he has with him a, uh, a sawed off double barreled shotgun that he does sort of loop onto the saddle of his horse gets it secured on there and the other is that he is now wearing a duster that appears to be made of particularly thick and unusual hide excellent that's a nice duster hombre and how about you hugo is there anything new about you we should be aware of yeah he's got some chaps on now he still has his apron on or no no actually he doesn't he's packed that into his bag and he's just wearing a smart stetson to keep the sun out of his eyes Pretty sensible, I think so. Yeah, he's at least washed off the blood from everywhere else on himself, so oh. he's at least sanitary for now. <laughs> nice. And how about you, Victoria? Victoria looks pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Her holster is more visible now, easier to reach. But other than that, she looks pretty much the same as she did before. And as the three of you mount your horses and get your gear ready and you begin to head out of the town, you look back once more to see that it would appear all of the folk in the town who would be of child-rearing age are all standing and watching the three of you disembark. It would seem that they all have a vested interest in making sure that whatever befell Clementine, whatever answers that you might seek, are answers that can be found for them as well. The mayor and his wife stand up near their house, and they look at you resolutely and give you a nod of approval and of thanks. And the three of you ride out. Um, I assume, Roy, you're going to take up the lead in this, so if you could go ahead and make us a survival check. 
I don't suppose I can get a bonus since we know kind of where we're going at this point. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and give you a plus four. All right, yep. cool, cool, cool. Using the main roads and traveling along. All right, that gives me a six total. So. Okay, perfect. And you ride relatively due east, slightly northeasterly fashion, and you do ride on for about half the day, and you come up to the spot that the mayor pointed out. The journey on the way over is relatively calm, and if it were a different setup to the type of journey you guys are taking, it might actually be described as relaxing, but the thoughts of what you're really venturing out for do hang over you, and it kind of spoils that. But you do get to where you see the trail does go cold, and you can see the set of footprints nearby that veer off into the trees and do seem to just suddenly disappear. If you want to look around and try to get a better vantage of where you're at, you can go ahead and make a perception roll. Anybody can go ahead and assist and help out if they'd like to. Yeah, I'll help him out. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try. We'll try taking a I'll look. I'll take a brief look around. I will say, you know, we pull up the horses and look around as we're reaching this point. But he doesn't even look to Victoria and Hugo like he is particularly expecting to see anything. Okay. Uh, that said, I got an ace on my D4. Oh, nice. And that turned it into a five. Excellent. And Hugo, you said you were looking as well. What did you get on that? Let me see. That was a notice roll? Mm-hmm. Yes. And ace and a five. So 11 total. And by looking at the area nearby and getting a good vantage of talking together, the two of you are able to come up with a pretty good plan, uh, venturing off the beaten path slightly further into the woods. And after you make your way in through the woods, it's not forested enough to where the horses would be a problem. At least not yet. Up ahead a little bit. Hugo, you do notice that there is a small piece of fabric that is caught on a twig near one of the bushes down towards the forest floor. And Victoria, when he points it out, you notice that it is the same style and color of Clementine's dress. So it looks like maybe her skirting caught on here and ripped as she was being led through this area. So you're definitely on the right path. I would like to grab that piece of fabric and bring it along and looking at it, okay, just for Victoria Glass's history with Ghost Rock. Mm -hmm. Is there any smell? I have the alertness edge. So is there yep. any like familiar smell that I'm getting or anything like that? Yes, I think actually, since you think to look for it, you take a little bit more of a different type of investigative look at the fabric, and you do notice the distinct scent, the familiar plume of when ghost rock is burnt, that acrid smell that's a bit unnatural, does linger about the fabric slightly. Okay, yeah, I'll just pocket that fabric and basically just nod to myself, like confirming a suspicion and just keep going. And as the three of you continue through the wooded area, I would like to have each of you please make notice checks. And whoever is taking the lead, make another survival check. Uh, I'll continue in the lead. Unless anyone else has survival. I believe it is just you. <laughs> I got a 10 on notice. Okay. All right. I got a four on survival. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh... You all impressed with your rolls? <laughs> I got a two. So. 
<laughs> and I got a seven on the notice. Okay. And as the three of you are venturing along, Hugo, you might perhaps get a little bit distracted by the surroundings. You are thinking about different things, not entirely of the wood. You're trying to maybe steer the horses in a direction that's going to keep them from twisting a leg or slipping a shoe. And so you're more preoccupied with that. So you don't notice the things that your companions are noticing, which is that as you move further and further into this wooded area, this forested area, it does get thicker. The overgrown sections of the wood start to get more cloying. They start to overgrow each other. And there's times where you actually have to stop and turn and go around areas that look like they probably should be relatively open gaps, but they aren't. You can tell that the foliage here doesn't seem to be natural somehow. It's almost like it is thicker and more lush in areas than it would be for this typical time of year. Hmm. But you do manage to not get lost, and as best you can tell, Roy, you are leading the group in the direction. You catch an occasional footprint here, a scuffle in the dirt there, that doesn't seem to be made by animal tracks. It definitely seems to be made by two figures, half dragging, half pulling another figure along. Hugo's gonna light a cigar. It's a rich scent, acrid in its own way, but it does remind the three of you of more settled areas and not traipsing about in the woods, chasing ghosts, it would seem. Mendez, put that out. Come on, man. If, uh, I, like, I like to call my little cigar breaks, I like to call them taking a trip to flavor country. Yeah, well, I like to call them a good way to get us all bushwhacked if Come we're not on. walking it's into fine. it already. It's fine. Nothing's even happening. We're just, we're, look at this. It's like a camping trip out here. Uh, Mendez, you clearly haven't noticed it, but uh, Miss Glass, given some of your actions, I imagine you have, we're getting closer to whatever it is that we're after here. And it doesn't want us to be doing that. Oh, I see. You're jealous. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't bring you all cigars, but you can share mine. You can have some. I brought my own cigars. I'm just not going to light them up while we're traipsing about through thick forest into some godforsaken territory. And I mean that word in more ways than one. You know, Don Roy, this is why no one likes to hang out with you in town. You're kind of a buzzkill. All right, fine. <laughs> he puts it out on the back of his boot, throws it on the ground. <laughs> You know, you owe me for that. It's coming out of your bill. It's, you know, it's adding to your funeral plot. Mm. <laughs> Victoria, what do you think about these two gentlemen that you've found yourself in the company of? Victoria is probably too focused to really be annoyed by anything that's going on here. In any other circumstance, she would probably think they're very entertaining, but she's just very focused on her task at hand right now. So a lot of it's probably kind of blocking a lot of it out and filing it away for later. Absolutely. And as the three of you continue along, Victoria, you are rather focused. You've always been that way, and you've always been very single-minded. And so you're a bit surprised when, despite your best efforts to be so serious and to the point, that your mind does drift to a memory of your past. Could you tell me of a time when Victoria felt helpless? Uh, yes. 
Victoria's mind flashes back to a time in St. Louis, actually, when the city was overrun by empire railers tossing dynamite and these black magic witches slinging spells and the walking dead shambling in and she was forced to basically drag Finley up the stairs and they they hid in one of the hotel rooms and barricaded themselves in just long enough for Victoria to be able to patch Finley up and the door only held them for so long and the moment they started busting through they came in and that was probably one of the most helpless moments Victoria has ever felt as those walking dead are rushing in and she has no weapon and it just grabs onto her and she knows all it takes is a bite. You can't help but feel a kindred sympathy for Clementine and how terrified she must be as a child feeling helpless. And that makes you resolute again and you find yourself a little bit angry I would yeah. think. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So you ready yourself and you dig in a little bit deeper and continue along the way. Victoria, I'm going to give you another Benny because of your description of your moment. Okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. You two men are busy in your uh, row, <laughs> so you don't seem to notice that she stops for a moment, but she readies herself and catches back up to the two of you. And it is nearing the last stretches of the day and getting to be close to dusk when the three of you begin to hear in the distance that there is whispered sounds on the breeze that seem to come in through the trees almost from all around you. It's almost as if the forest is starting to come alive as the three of you with your horses move further and further into its grasp. Much as you pointed out, Roy, it's almost as if the forest itself is an entity that controls this area and that you're not welcome here. There is a strong sense of foreboding that starts to, along with the shadows as they begin to lengthen as the sun begins to set in the west, grow across all of your senses. Can I please have all three of you make a spirit test? All right. I'm going to spend a Benny to re-roll that. <laughs> okay. That's better. That's a four. I got a total of eight. I got a total of two. Rolling straight twos, baby. <laughs> so, Hugo, you're getting a little bit creeped out by the woods. Now, Hugo... You are a man who probably finds a lot of things to be not that intimidating, but uh, something about this woods, it's just not sitting right with you. Yeah, yeah. Hugo is going to pull out a small rosary that he keeps in his doctor's bag, and you're going to start hearing him silently doing like a couple of Hail Marys in Spanish. If I if I was a good Catholic kid, I'd know the prayer, but I don't anymore. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, he's very quietly just kind of 
in one hand moving each bead as he goes through the 10 Hail Marys and then an Our Father, then another 10 Hail Marys as the that oppressive feeling starts to really creep in on him. Absolutely. Hey, Mendez. Huh? Yeah, yeah, huh? Keep up your praying, and if you have another cigar, now you can light it. Well, yeah, hey, that's it's definitely going to help the feeling, hombre. All right. And pulls out another cigar, and he lights it. Still doing his Hail Marys. Roy, for his part, doesn't draw it just yet, but he does unloop the strap that's securing his shotgun so that it's going to be very easy for him to grab if it comes to that. He definitely looks on edge. As the three of you begin to get shrouded in darkness, the horses also seem to start to feel this uneasy feeling. They start to pull against you slightly as you are moving your way in, dragging them by their leads. The foliage is thick enough at this point that you've all dismounted and you're walking and leading your horses. You're not able to fully ride because of the overgrowth of the branches above. And the horses are starting to resist going further into the forest. No, great. Everybody make a riding (laughs) test, please. I do have the riding skill, so I can give it a shot. Excellent, yeah. I'm getting lucky with the D6s tonight. I'm sure it'll go away by the next time we're uh, we're doing things, and as soon as we get into another combat, but uh, that's that's a total of 15 online. Oh, wow. Nice. I got a two, so I failed, and I think I'm just going to take that failure because I feel like that fits Victoria a little bit better than if I would have succeeded. Okay, excellent. How about you, Hugo? Uh, Well, I don't have any points in writing, so I take a minus two, but I did ace on my wild die, so that's a total of nine minus two, seven. Okay. And as the horses get to be a little bit more inconsolable. Hugo, you step forward and you grab the reins of a couple of them and you try to pull them in, get them under control. You do a pretty reasonable job. Victoria, your horse, however, begins to whinny and neigh and pull at you rather violently. It starts to rear up and kick its legs at you. But Roy, you step forward, you grab onto the reins with a very forceful hand, you bring the horse to bear, and you definitely rectify the situation, luckily. Just one of those things about being a veteran of the Old West. He just He's able to have a certain understanding, a certain connection with the world around him, and he manages to get this under control. Whoa, e- easy, easy. We should probably uh, find a good spot to tie these up to stay here while we continue forward. It's only going to get worse from here on out, and if they're already spooking, then I don't like our chances of dragging them further into the trouble. Boss, lead the way, hombre, if you think there's a there's a good place for us to tie them off. I don't know about a good place, but we'll find one that'll do. Looking around easily enough, yeah, there's several different branches and different knocked-over logs, tree stumps, things of this nature that would fit the bill for such a thing. Yeah, Royal guide everyone over and assist with just tying the horses up a little bit. He definitely doesn't tie them so much that they couldn't get free if they really wanted to. Just a little bit of support to make sure that they don't just wander off totally. And he does at this point grab the shotgun off of his saddle to carry with him as we move forward. Perfect. So after you tie off the horses, the three of you take a moment, a quick rest to get a drink of water, maybe stretch out for a moment, get a little calmer before you move a little bit further into the foliage ahead. Who is taking the lead on this? 
Roy still or <laughs> shotgun? Not it. <laughs> not Victoria. <laughs> right. uh, I guess that leaves Roy. <laughs> okay, Roy, go ahead and make another survival test for All me. Right. Because you notice the foliage here is starting to get even thicker. And it's got a strange smell about it. Something that doesn't quite smell like something that would be cooked in a fire, if that makes sense. Interesting. All right. Well, I am gonna I'm gonna spend a Benny, because I didn't roll so well on the first go-round. Then we'll try again. Uh well, that's even worse. Oh no. I'll accept that. I got a three as the good roll. Okay. And as you continue further into the foliage, you start to notice that it gets thicker and thicker still. And eventually, as the dark completely envelops the forest, as the sun dips all the way down past the horizon, the last little ribbons of purple and orange begin to disappear as well, bringing on the full dark night. You notice that the woods have grown so thick that you can't get your full bearings about where you need to be. The foliage around you almost seems to be embracing you all, pulling you further into itself. It pulls at your clothes, it pulls at your hair, it tangles in your mustache. It definitely has a moment of a panic that starts to rise up over all of you. Let's have everybody make another spirit test, please. Oh boy. Oh boy. And those who passed before, which was Victoria and Roy, I'll give you both a plus two. And those who failed get a plus three, right? Is that, no? Yeah, I get a plus 20. <laughs> that's what I get. I got a six. Six, okay. Uh, I got a five. Okay, so you all tell me what happens here. I aced the wild die and I aced my d4. Do I reroll both of them? Yeah, you reroll both. Oh, boy. And just the highest total. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was ace on both of those, and then I aced my d4 again. Okay, so that would be an 11 Ooh. from the wild die, but go ahead and reroll the d4 again. Okay, <laughs> I aced the d4 again. That happens a lot with d4s, so that's a 12. Yes. Uh, I suppose Kevin can let us know. Does he need to keep rolling at this point, or is he good? No, 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 that's fine. You're all okay. But you all push through that. You know that the fate of a little girl lies with the three of you, and you push past the fear, and much to your surprise... As you push past it and get over that, suddenly the brush in front of you seems to part and pull away. Long, sinewy strands of something dangle between them as they pull apart from one another. And you see, ahead of you, light that flickers. Torchlight, or perhaps a campfire, in the center of these woods. You can also see... That just lit within the dancing firelight, two figures moving about in a circle with something in a burlap sack on the ground between them near the fire. The two figures are silhouetted at this point and you can't tell their features or who they are, but you can see that they seem to be chanting something. What sort of language familiarity do you three have? I would assume, Hugo, you probably speak Spanish as well as English. Yeah, if they're talking Espanol, I, I know what they're saying. If it's not, then uh, good luck. Do any of you perhaps speak the languages of the natives to this area? I would say probably not. Yeah, no more than very passing knowledge of a few phrases here and there. Okay. It sounds like 
It would be the language of some of the native tribes of the area, but you're not too familiar with it, so you're not sure what they're saying. You just see the two figures. First, it's low, ominous chanting, and then there seems to be a drumming coming from somewhere as the figures continue to dance around the fire. Let's uh, get up a little closer, but try to be quiet about it. If they make a move for the sack, then we can open fire, but I'd rather get an idea of what's happening here before we start shooting. Got it. Shoot first, ask questions later, maybe save the sack. Got it. All right. No, that's that's almost the opposite of what I said, Mendez. (laughs) So if the three of you are moving in quietly, let's have you all make stealth rolls. Oh, boy. I'm going to actually All roll right. to oppose this one to see if they hear you instead of a target number. I got a five. I got a four. I'll take that. I got a six. And as the three of you begin to move in closer, you can tell the two figures continue to move about and gesticulate and speak in the strange tongue that you don't understand. As you draw closer, the firelight dances across all of your features, and it is rather hot, even from the distance that you are from it. You're about 20 feet away still, and it feels like you're almost up in the flames themselves. Victoria, you notice as you start to move in closer that there is a slight green coloration to the smoke that plumes up out of the fire. And the smell on the air definitely lets you know that ghost rock is involved here. To what end, you're not sure, but it's definitely present. The two figures do not seem to notice the three of you as you draw ever closer still. They continue with their chanting, they're moving, they're gesticulating, and one of them actually stops and moves over towards the sack. He, you could tell it's a male by the form of his figure, but you can't, again, see anything of his features because he's silhouetted by the fire. He reaches down to the sack and he begins to draw it up off of the ground. His chanting becomes more and more intense, more and more aggravated as he takes the sack and he begins to pull it into the air. Something within the sack, and this is a larger sack, it's not small. This isn't something like, say, a rabbit would be in this sack. This is something that would be big enough to hold one of you. And as he lifts it, something inside moves and struggles and tries to get out of its confinement. You said we're about 20 feet away at this point? At this point, you're about 10 feet away. You guys have snuck in really closely. Between the large drumming that is really banging out through your ears right now and filling the entire inside of the forest here, as well as their chanting, they don't seem to have noticed at all that the three of you were here. All right. When the one goes for the sack and starts to pick it up and we see that there is something clearly moving around inside of it, Roy is not going to hesitate any longer and he is going to raise the shotgun and fire on that individual who's grabbing the sack. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and let you do that before initiative is dealt. So go ahead and uh, take a shot. All right. Uh, Roy raises his double-barreled shotgun. And, oh, Lord, that seems unnecessary. Uh, (laughs) That's a total of 12 on the shooting roll. Yes. Okay, that'll definitely hit. Just trying to see how many raises that is. <laughs> I believe it's two. Yeah, I mean, it's 1d6 extra damage no matter how many raises. Sadly, yeah. in a case like this. But uh, Yes, exactly. It's also a shotgun, <laughs> which means it's dealing 3d6 damage to begin yes. with. Yes, so yes, there's yes. a very good <laughs> chance of uh, this going our way. 
That's two sixes on the dice. Oh, boy. Yes. Ooh. Then there's another. Oh, my. All right. Hold on. That's, okay. That was four sixes. That's 34 damage. Oh, my goodness. As Roy just opens up with one of the barrels on this shotgun. Roy, you stand defiant and with a fire burning within you. You pull the trigger of the shotgun. There was a deafening boom, not as loud as the Dragoon, but loud enough still to be heard over the drumming, over the chanting, and over the squealing within the bag. The gun fires and buckshot sprays across the back of the man. He drops the sack and his back gets pebbled and obliterated with the buckshot as they rip across strands of his flesh. A spray of red mist paints the fire a different color as he stumbles forward and slams down into the dirt. The other person who's here, he suddenly stops in his chanting and looks over to see you standing there with a smoking barrel and ready to take another shot, and his eyes go wide. Let's go ahead and let's get initiative dealt out for all of you folks. So, I'm going to go and start with you, Roy, since you're already working. Ooh, King of Spades. All right. And Victoria, the Joker. Yes. Nice. And Hugo, the Ace of Spades. Oh my goodness, this hey is a, <laughs> this is going to be bad news for these guys. And finally for them, the Nine of Hearts. So putting you in order of the way that the cards and fate have dealt, it would be Hugo and then Roy and then the bandits with Victoria getting a joker and she can react where she would like to react. Do you want to take advantage of that now, Victoria? Or do you want to wait for a moment? I think I would like to do that now. I would like to run over to the sack and basically just grab it and drag it back behind cover. Absolutely. Yeah, so you surge forward in all the commotion, and as the blood and the smoke settles around, you run through the area, and you scoop up the bag with one hand grabbing at the top that's tied together, the other arm wrapping around its form that's still wriggling inside, and you move back out of the way. The man who's still by the fire, his eyes dart around in confusion, and you do see that there is another person just on the other side of the fire who suddenly stands up. They have a really elaborate headdress on, and they pull what looks to be a tomahawk, and the blade of it is glowing a sickly green color, you notice. Mm -hmm. And as you pull the sack back out of the way, Hugo, you move with a speed that is quite uncanny with your ace. Yeah, I think I'm going to probably shoot at whoever's closest to me. But he is going to comment, seeing the tomahawk glowing green, to be like, "Hey, that guy, that guy's got an axe made of farts," and <laughs> then he's gonna he's gonna take out the peacemaker and. and right. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I aced one of them. So here it goes again. Okay, it's a total of ten. Oh yeah, that'll be a raise. Yep. Yep. And that is a total of 14. Ooh, goodness. And your peacemaker goes off, another bolt in the night, and there is a plume that appears in the chest of the other man, wide-eyed, who is by the fire that you originally saw. He stumbles backwards, and he falls to his knees. His hands go up feebly to his chest, clawing at the hole, 
as the blood spreads and rushes down his form. And then he looks up to the sky and he turns and falls and on his side, slams into the dirt as well. And Roy, what do you do, sir? Well, Roy, uh, seeing another man standing up on the other side of the fire and Hugo calling him out, is going to turn that way because he has another barrel on this shotgun that's still loaded. And we'll fire off another shot, assuming that guy is close enough that I'd be able to see and shoot him. Definitely, yep. All right. That is going to be a seven total. (laughs) Yep, no worries there. Hit, not quite a raise, unfortunately, but the shotgun may make up for that. All right, that is a total of 12 damage. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You take the shotgun, you level it at the man with the headdress with the glowing axe, and when you fire, the shot takes him in the chest as well. He does stumble, and the axe falls down to the dirt, and he stumbles onto his knees. He starts breathing heavily like he's trying to get back up to his feet. And he slowly starts to stand, wobbles for a moment, and he starts to step forward. He's got that strange language that he's speaking under his breath. And there is light that starts to dance very briefly across the fire again. And as he stumbles forward, he begins to reach for you. You can see that the light starts to dance across his fingertips as he motions in the air some more. And his words start to fail and draw slower until he reaches out towards you, his hand shaking. You see as the green smoke, the green light disappears off of his fingertips. And he looks like he's coming to charge you before you can tell at the last moment that his charging is more of a desperate run from a dying man. You've seen this sort of thing before. He stumbles forward, and he lands down in front of you. Roy steps back and lets him just drop onto the ground. And reaching for you, he dies on the ground at your feet. And just as quickly as it begun, this battle comes to a close. There is a strange silence now that the chanting and the drumming have subsided. I would like to open the bag. Is that the Thurston girl in the sack? Victoria, you open the sack, and there is a form that suddenly moves out, (sighs) crying and whimpering and screaming. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's a young woman, maybe 17 or 18 years old. Definitely not the Thurston girl. This is something else. What's your name? Thank you. Thank you so much. They were going to kill me. They were going to kill me. Oh. What, what's, what's your name? Where'd you come from? My name is Katrina. My name is Katrina, and I'm from... Oh my gosh, they were going to kill me. I'm from Lawrence. I'm, I'm from Lawrence, Kansas. I just looked up at Roy and Hugo, like, bewildered and confused. Hugo, from where you're standing, you can see that the man that you killed is lying next to the fire, and the flames are lighting his features pretty well at this point. You can see that this man is adopted a disguise. This man is not a native. This is a man masquerading as one for some reason. And as you begin to look around, you see that all three of them are masquerading as such for some reason. 
Uh, okay. Well, while Hugo notices that, I think a little bit of his habits with having patience and things is going to kick in. He might go over and give the girl a once over to make sure that she's not injured in any sort of way or, or in needing of some immediate medical care after having been stuffed in a sack for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and um, make a smarts roll for me. Oh, I can do that. I got good smarts. And I aced the wild die. It's a total of seven. Beautiful. You can tell that the young woman, although she has a black eye, a bruised cheek, uh, she seems to be uninjured besides that. She's not cut or stabbed or shot, thankfully. So she just seems to be more mentally in anguish than in physical pain. So that's a small favor in this. She's hysterical for a brief moment, her eyes darting around. They were going to kill me. Why? What were they? What were they going to do to me? Why were they going to kill me? It's all right. It's all right. We, we, look, we, we've got you. They're, uh, they're definitely not breathing anymore. Uh, but look, you take, take a second, take breathe, respira, para adentro, y para afuera, para adentro. She starts to breathe in pace with you, and she starts to calm down a little bit, as much as she can, despite what's going on. Okay, you you said you came from you said you came from Lawrence. Yes, I, I'm from Lawrence. Uh, they took me from there. My uh, okay, uh, my brothers they they went to go meet someone. And oh, I w- I was gonna go with them, but then. They're friends. They they took me. They uh, they said they were going to take me someplace. They said they had to take me to meet her. What does that mean? They told me they wanted me to meet Mother. Hey guys, where where the hell is Lawrence? Is that still in Kansas? Is that like next yes, to... it's still in Kansas, Mendez. Have you never looked at the territorial map? Uh, map map. <laughs> and Victoria is focused at this point, and she's like, "Okay, all all they said was mother. All they said was you're going to meet mother. Where I don't understand. Where are the children? Have you heard anything about the children? I don't know anything about any children. No, they they said they had to take me to what was the name of it? Though? It had a strange name. Uh, rails." The, the rail, broken the, rails. Broken rails. That's it. Yes. They said they had to take me to broken rails to meet mother. She said she wanted to meet me. She said I was important. I don't know anything about any children. Katrina, this is going to sound strange, but do you practice magic? Do you, do you practice anything in the supernatural? You mean like that, that stuff that... The Reckoners did? that. Yes. Yes, that is what I mean. I don't, I don't know anything about doing anything about that. I, I, I know ever since I was... Ever since I was a girl, my, my pa... He, he was afraid I... I hear things. I, I notice things in the wind. Sometimes I know things are going to happen before they happen. They called it seeing, but... It wasn't really seeing, it was more like feeling, hearing maybe, but what what would somebody's mother want that for? What, What would they want me for? 
from the looks of things, nothing good. And I'm just looking at Hugo and Roy. Well, whatever it was, they won't be having you for it now. Yeah, that uh, it doesn't sound very special. I get the same way after like three or four drinks of tequila. You know, you get the sixth sense. But <laughs> uh, uh, that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> for the time being, I think it's best that we get young Katrina here back to. Uh, well, we can't exactly ride all the way to Lawrence, take you back there, but we can take you somewhere safe. Oh yes, please. Uh, we should get her back to Hope. Yes, please, get me out of here. Please, take take me out of this place. This force is it's, it's terrible. Please, take me out of here. Please. Please, as she actually hugs you, Victoria, she pulls you close, and she just weeps, cries into your shoulder. Yeah, I, I pat her back and comfort her. Before we leave, can I medically examine the three guys that are alivent? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Go ahead and make a uh, smarts roll. Right. Can I make a science roll? It's the same thing. Or right. science would work for this, yep. It's the same Hugo role. steps forward. In my medical opinion, these men are dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's strange. It's like they've stopped breathing. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that is a six. Yes, all three men are very definitively dead. The good shots, even though it's in the middle of the night like this, I've definitely ended them quickly. There wasn't a lot of pain or suffering, except for maybe that last guy who tried to get his way over to Roy. You can tell that there's strange discoloration around their faces. It almost looks like their eyes have burns around the skin of their eyelids and around their cheekbones underneath their eyes. It's almost like their eyes have somehow been touched by the heat of the fire. Is there like any sort of residue left over around their eyes or mouth area? Yeah, I'd say you're doing a pretty thorough inspection. I would say that you can tell that there is definitely some sort of strange, it almost looks like a paste or a paint that is spread underneath their eyes. You've heard of uh, women of the night who sometimes wear makeup on their upper eyelids. <laughs> uh, this is the same type of thing, but it's on the bottom of their eyelids. Okay. Just for curiosity's sake, I'm going to take a knife and like scrape a little bit of it off. and okay. like then put Just that... take the whole eyelid. Yeah, cut the guy's face right off, you know? <laughs> seems like something Mendez would do anyway, so why not? Why am I even using a knife? I'll just use it with, do it with my teeth. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do need his toes. <laughs> I'm using a necklace. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to just get the residue a little bit off with a knife and then wipe it on like a handkerchief, right, that I have and put it in my packet. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I then I cut off his nose, just for good measure. <laughs> Uh, ben- Mendez, I was about to congratulate you on a job well done and keeping your tendencies in check, and here you go and blow it. <laughs> Is it clear to all of us that they're just pretending to be natives now at this point? Yes, at this point, because he's been inspecting them, he's actually removed the headdresses, he's turned them all over, you can look at them a little bit clearer. That Yeah, these are definitely men who are not natives, who are dressed and were apparently masquerading as natives for some sort of purpose. Pretty strange. Yeah, I will just be comforting Katrina while all of this is happening and waiting for their cue that we're going to head back. The bodies don't have anything else of interest on them, do they? I mean, Roy is going to sort of give them a once-over, 
Hugo's looking medically, Roy is looking more in terms of like, do they have anything in pockets or on necklaces or anything like that? He is going to take a specific look at that tomahawk that was glowing green. Yeah, okay. Go ahead and make a notice roll. I'm going to give you plus two because you're taking your time and really looking into this. All right. That is a total of ten. Ten. Okay, wow. You see the tomahawk, it seems to be made out of materials that are nicer. The handle of it, instead of being like a naturally worked handle, this looks like it's almost been machined or worked. The way that the grooves and the striations on it, you can definitely tell it's been machined by something. The blade on it also is really well worked. You can tell it's forged steel rather than, say, rough metal or even stone that you would have seen this kind of weapon be made out of before. You also notice that the big guy who was trying to claw at you before he died, he has a strange tattoo on his chest where his heart would be. It's partially obliterated because of where you shot him. You don't fully see it all. But the remnants of it that you do see almost look like an upside-down W that has a long stretch to the upper arms of it. Kind of like a mixture between the letter M and a bat. It's got a long curve with strange little jutting hooks where the lines come together. You recognize the symbol, Roy. And in the dark, with the fire still crackling next to you, You once again find yourself having your attention and your gaze slowly drift over your shoulder into the night. You've seen this mark before on a man that you killed, and what came out of him after he died haunts you to this day. You are a little concerned and, for the first time in a long time, a little afraid of what they might have been trying to do here. When Roy notices that mark and and starts to get that feeling, earlier in the hotel, he had been sort of like slowly, not really a big motion, sort of looking behind him Mm -hmm. when he thought that there might be something behind him for a moment. This time when he gets that idea and starts to wonder, is there something behind him? He turns around with blazing speed. And before anyone else in the clearing even realizes he's drawn his gun, he has it leveled up at his shoulder height, peering off into the darkness at nothing in particular, but is more on full high alert than any of them have seen him thus far. Definitely. Oye, hombre. Estás bien? Are you okay? What's going on? I, uh... Is there somebody there? I thought I I thought I heard something. It's 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 nothing. It's nothing now. We need to get back to hope. We need to get this girl out of here. Come on. And without another word, he walks past you all and he actually scoops her up and begins to carry her back towards the horses. And Hugo and Victoria, the two of you look at each other for a moment by the fire. You look around to the dead men, and you have your own thoughts about what might be going on here, and the strangeness since the three of you came together last night to intervene on the town's behalf, and you wonder what exactly might be happening, and what sort of trouble the three of you are riding towards. 
and the two of you get to your feet and follow Roy, who at this point has Katrina up on one of the horses, steadying her. She gives you a faint smile, one that's made out of habit rather than out of uh, actual feeling. He slides up into a horse next to her, and it's at that point that you notice that the overgrowing of the trees has started to recede a little bit. You can now mount the horses and ride them easily out of the forest. And the three of you do, making your way back towards Hope. Just another Tuesday night in... Where are we again? Hope. Mendez. Uh, yeah, yeah, just another Tuesday night in Hope, Kansas. That's right. Hugo. It's Thursday. What? This concludes Chapter 2 of Deadlands, A Child's Lost Hope. Thank you all for sticking around. The tale's just beginning. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Game Night Heroes podcast. This was Deadlands, Episode 2, The Hero's Call. If you'd like to support the Game Night Heroes podcast, please leave us a rating or a review at your favorite podcatcher. This helps other folks like yourself find us and take the journey along with you and with us. You can also reach out to us across all social media platforms, where we can be found at Game Night Heroes. You can find more information about the show, episodes, and upcoming projects at our website, GameNightHeroes.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we engage with all of our fans. This episode today featured the voice talents of Victoria Glass was played by Carrie Smith, who can be found online at CarrieSmith2012, and on YouTube at CarrieSmith. Hugo Mendez was played by Alex Rodriguez, who could be found online at Uncle underscore Andros. Roy McAaron was played by Brian Helix, who can be found online at Helix Missionary. Both Alex and Brian can be found on the Two Weeks One Shot podcast, which can be found at Twoscast. And Kevin Stacy as the Game Marshal. Found online on all social media at Kevran Games. Deadlands appears courtesy of the Pinnacle Entertainment Group, which can be found online at PEGINC.com. Music from this episode was found from various artists on Pixabay. Thank you all for joining us in the Weird West. We'll see you all next time and keep dreaming your possible dream.